Hey, what's up? Okay. Yeah. So the series is called We, and you need something for Sunday. Yeah, we can definitely do that. All right, I'll see you later. Scene one, take one, and action. Yeah, I think I need to be a little bit clearer with our media team. This series is not we, W-I-I, it's not about a Nintendo we, it's W-E period we, because God's word tells us that life is better when we do it together. So that's what we're going to be talking about. We're excited that you're here for this new series. But before we jump into it, every single weekend we have people meeting out of Stone Canyon, as well as others who join us online. So if you would, put your hands together, welcome them into our time of study here today. And like I said, we're beginning this new series today called We, because God never intended us to do life alone. Contrary to how some people live in our culture today, God never intended us to do life alone. No, God wove within the fabric of our DNA the deep-seated need for human connection. We were made for one another. God never intended us to do life alone. But in a culture that often celebrates the individual and worships independence and lacks the relational intimacy that God intended us to have, sometimes we need to be reminded of this truth, that we is always greater than me. We is always greater than me. And here's the thing. I think deep down, we all know this to be true. Let me illustrate it like this. The other morning, I woke up early, and I was in my home office. It was about 5 a.m. or so, and all of a sudden, I heard some noise, and it was coming from my daughter Addie's room. She's almost three, and so I went down the hallway to see what was going on, and the closer I got to her room, I heard laughter and giggles, and I recognized the laughter and giggles. It was coming from Addie, but also it was coming from my son, Alex, who's six years old. Both of them were supposed to be asleep. They were not supposed to be up yet, but they were up. They were in each other's rooms, or he was in her room and they were playing with toys they weren't supposed to be playing with and then as I listened through the door I started to hear this they had a candy wrapper that they were using an opening and so I thought they're busted I'm gonna get them right now so I opened up the door I went in and sure enough they were sitting on her bed they had all these toys out they weren't supposed to have out they were up when they weren't supposed to be up and they had opened up a large package of Skittles and they were just chowing down on them I mean they were having a good old time they were having Skittles for breakfast you know and so I looked I was like what are you guys doing and they just looked at me with these innocent faces I was like no 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 you guys know better than this you know you're not supposed to be up yet. You know you're not supposed to be having candy for breakfast. So I took Alex back to his room, laid Addie back down, told her to go back to sleep. She didn't, by the way. And then I tried to get Alex to go back to sleep. He didn't go back to sleep either. So I kind of set him down and talked with him. I was like, 
buddy, you're six years old. Your sister, she's almost three, but you're the older sibling. You're supposed to know better. You're supposed to set example for her. So it's bad enough that you got up out of bed. You're playing with toys you're not supposed to be playing with. You're eating candy for breakfast. It's bad enough that you did it, but then you brought your sister in it. I mean, you incorporated her in your little scheme, and that's not good. What were you thinking? And he looked at me, and as innocent as he could, he said, Daddy, it's always better to eat candy with friends. Now, you can all and think, that's sweet. He thinks his sister is his friend. Isn't it great? They love another baloney. I'm telling you right now, he's playing me, okay? He's too smart for his own good. Don't buy into that. He was trying to get out of trouble. That's the only reason why he said it. And he, was, he thought his sister would be his way out. And so I looked at him and I said, I don't buy that at all. And he still got in trouble for it. But even though he was trying to play me, I think what he said did illustrate a pretty good truth. It's a universal truth. And it's one we just mentioned. We is greater than me. Even a six-year-old knows that. And here's the thing, it's not just a universal truth that we all know deep down, it's a truth that comes from God's Word. God's Word tells us that isolation is never a good thing. If you go to, back to the earliest pages of the Bible, the book of Genesis, when God created everything in six days, God goes through and He looks at everything that He created and He says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And the first thing that God ever said wasn't good is when he looked at the situation that the human race was in. And look at what he says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. The first thing that God ever said wasn't good in his creation was our loneliness. Because God knows that when we're lonely, we're not at our best. When we're lonely we can get into some serious trouble. See, everyone that I have ever met needs to know others and be known by others. Every person that I've ever encountered needs to love and be loved. We have this need for deep, deep connectivity that goes far beyond the surface of superficiality. We were created to live in relationship with God and with others. And so what that means is everyone needs someone. Everyone needs a friend. And Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived besides Jesus, he wrote this in his book, Ecclesiastes. Look at what he says. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 10. Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Two are better than one. And then Solomon goes on to say in verse 12, look at what he says. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. What's Solomon saying? God never intended us to do life alone. He created us to be relational people. And God has woven within the fabric of our DNA the need for human connection. There's a reason why God did this because it reflects His character. Why did God create us in the first place? To have relationship with us. He wanted to do life with us. And so He created this deep-seated need for relationship. 
And so until you live in a healthy relationship with Him, you will never live a satisfied life. But it's also true that until you have healthy relationships on earth with others, you will never live a fulfilled, satisfied life. The Bible teaches everyone needs someone. Everyone needs a friend. And yet even though I think we all know this deep down, loneliness is a growing epidemic in our culture. I once heard someone say that people are experience rich but relationship poor. And the first time I ever heard that statement, people are experience rich but relationship poor, I had to chew on it for a second. The more I did, the more I thought about it, the more I realized how true that statement really is. Because in our culture, we as Americans, we experience a lot. We go on trips and we take vacations. We go to movies and we watch sporting events. We go out to eat and we go shopping. And a lot of times when we do those activities, we are surrounded by people. But just because we're surrounded by people doesn't mean we're not alone. See, you can be surrounded by people and still feel very isolated. You can be surrounded by people and still feel very alone. You can even be married and still feel alone. You can have kids and feel very, very alone. Because even though you may have relationships in life, even though you may be surrounded by people, if those relationships aren't what God intended them to be, the result is loneliness and emptiness. And that's why the Bible teaches us that we need friends and we need to be friends for others who are helping one another get closer to Jesus. Research tells us that our culture is a lonely culture. There's a study that was done by Duke University just a few years ago, and it stated that one out of three Americans lacks a good, close friend. One out of three. You know what that means? If you were to turn to the person sitting to the right of you or to the left of you, or maybe it's you, one of those three is struggling with loneliness. There's another study that was done by the Cigna Health Group, and they stated that 40% of Americans claim to be living in isolation right now. 40% of Americans claim to be living in isolation. Maybe that's why Mother Teresa said before she died these words, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society, and no one wants anybody to know they're a leper. Loneliness is a growing epidemic in our culture, and I believe loneliness is one of the greatest weapons that Satan, our enemy, uses against us. You know why? Because we will do things when we're alone that we wouldn't normally do if we were surrounded by godly people. We will do things when we're alone that we wouldn't normally do if we had Christ-like influences around us. Loneliness is one of the greatest weapons that Satan uses against us. And that's why the Bible warns us in Proverbs 18, verse 1, one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound judgment. The Bible teaches everyone needs someone. Everyone needs a friend. But here's the thing. Not all friendships are good for us. 
Not all relationships are good for us. What the Bible is calling us to have are godly friendships, godly relationships that help us move closer to his son. And I don't think there's a better illustration of that, example of that, than a scene that we find in Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me the second chapter of Mark. If you have our First Church app, you can follow along in the notes section. All the scriptures I'm going to use are going to be listed there. But Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be camped out today. And in Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus is preaching in a small little fishing village called Capernaum. This is a little village. It was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It was actually the hometown of one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter. And this was a small little village of about 1,500 people or so. And so as you can imagine, when Jesus comes to town, he is the talk of the town. He's the biggest news to come to this little village in years. He's the most popular rabbi around. And he's got a great following by this point. He's done a ton of miracles and he's been teaching all over. And everybody wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. Everybody wants to see Jesus. And so Jesus decides to set up camp in one of the homes there in Capernaum. Now the homes in this day or this area, they were block homes, very simple in their structure. They were homes made of clay with roofs that were a concoction of sticks, thatch, mud, and also clay. Very simple in their design. And Jesus is gathered in one of these homes teaching people. And people come from all over to hear him. I mean, they pack out this house. And they're there because Jesus is the main attraction. They want to hear everything that he has to say. They want to get a chance to see a possible miracle. And so this house where Jesus is teaching gets so full, so packed, it's elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder. I mean, there's no room wall to wall of people a little kid couldn't even fit through couldn't even squeeze through that's how packed this house is Mark describes it like this in Mark verse chapter 2 verse 2 he says soon the house where he was staying where Jesus was staying by the way I think that could be Peter's house it was Peter's hometown Jesus was from this area could have possibly been Peter's house we don't know but the house where Jesus was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door I mean, they're spilling out the front door. That's how packed this place was. You ever been in a crowd like that? You ever been in a crowd where it's just wall-to-wall people, elbow-to-elbow, shoulder-to-shoulder people, and it's almost uncomfortable because people are so cramped and it's so tight? I remember this past October, my family, we went to Disney World in Florida, and Disney was busy every single day we were there. It was crowded. It was crazy. We still had a fun time, but it was nuts. And one day we wanted to see the fireworks show that took place in the Magic Kingdom that evening. And so we had plans to stay for the show and all that good stuff that goes on with it. And we wanted to ride one more ride before it was time for us to line up for the fireworks show. So we rode this ride, took a while to get through the line and all that. But we got through it and there were still 45 minutes until it was time for the fireworks show in front of the castle, you know, there in the Magic Kingdom. And I thought, 45 minutes, that's plenty of time to go line up to see this show. Well, we got to Main Street, USA their magic kingdom there was not a spot anywhere for us to stand the only spots that were available were either reserved for vips or there were trees in front of us where we couldn't see the castle so we missed the entire show and i had this moment of panic like hey i've promised my family my kids we're going to see this show and there's not a spot anywhere so i turned to my wife allison and i said hun i want us to split up bad idea but i want us to split up you take addy i'll take alex we'll go look around and see if we can find a spot we can stand and see the show so we we split up, she went looking, I went looking, 30 minutes passed. 
we, can't, we could not find a spot anywhere. And so I'm, again, I'm panicking. I'm thinking, we're going to miss the whole show. We might as well go to the parking lot and see if we can see the fireworks from there. Because there's no place for us to stand. And then I notice this family kind of moving around. They're picking up their belongings. I don't know if they just gave up or if the kids fell asleep or what, but they were leaving. And so I went up to them. I said, you guys leaving? They said, yeah, we got to get back to the hotel. I said, can I have your spot? I said, sure, yeah, we don't care. So I jumped in there, and then I told Alice because I had him with me. I said, stand big, man. Come on, we're going to hold this spot for Mommy and Addie. And so I called Allison, and she came over, and she joined us. And we put, uh, I put Alex up on my shoulders, and she put Addie up on her so they could see the show. But this was the crowd. If you look at this picture, you can just look. It is just wall-to-wall people. It was nuts. And as we put our kids up on our shoulders, people crammed in even more because we made more space, you know, so it got even tighter at that moment. It was just insane. But at least in that moment, we had the open air. I mean, imagine being in a little house, and it's packed full of people, so packed you can't even move around. It would have been a crazy environment to be a part of. But the story's about to get even crazier. Let's read on in Mark chapter 2. While he, Jesus, was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. The crowd's so thick they can't get through. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, above Jesus' head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about this paralyzed man. We're not given his name. We don't know if he'd been paralyzed since birth or maybe he was injured at some point in life. Like maybe it was a kid he was playing and got hurt or maybe as an adult even he was hurt on the job site. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know if this man was single or married. We don't know if he had kids or not. We don't know if he was poor or wealthy or somewhere in between. The Bible doesn't give us any of those details but what we do know about this man is that he had four incredible friends who were willing to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus and I don't want to pass by or pass over just how incredible this act of love and kindness was that his friends did for him because I've told you guys before, I grew up in church. I mean, I grew up going to VBSs and Sunday school and all that. So I've heard this story before. I've heard it over and over again. And sometimes it loses its impact the more you hear it. I don't want us to lose sight of what's going on here. I don't want us to lose sight or lose perspective here. These four friends, they dug a hole. They created a hole in someone's roof in order to get their friend to Jesus. That's crazy. That's Nuts, that's insane, but that's how much they love their friend. See, in a day and age before wheelchairs and scooters, someone who was paralyzed had to get around on one of these, a mat. It didn't exactly look like this, same general idea, but a mat in that day would have been made of animal skins, and it would have had two poles like we have up here. And in order for you to get anywhere, move around, you needed others. Typically four people, four grown men who could each take a corner of this mat and carry you where you needed to go. And a day before wheelchairs and scooters, if you were paralyzed, the only way you could get anywhere is if you had somebody else to help you 
And I want you to think about what these four friends did. They heard, someone heard, that Jesus was coming to town. And they had heard about the miracles that Jesus had done, and they thought, our friend needs to meet him. So they picked up his mat, and they carried him to the house where Jesus was staying. And then they get there, and the place is packed, and people are spilling out the front door, and the crowd won't part to let them through. So what do they do? Do they give up? No, one of those four guys turns to the others, and he says, hey, let's go through the roof. Now, I'm sure that guy's name was Bubba, because I bet he was a redneck, and I can say that, because I'm from Kentucky. I come from rednecks, okay? I can say that. I bet Bubba turns to Joe Bob, and he says, hey, that's not going to stop us. We're going to go through the roof. Now, what you need to know, in this day on most houses in this area, they either had a staircase or a ladder. Most of them had ladders on the side of their homes in order to get to the roof. So these friends had to pick up their friend on his mat and carry him either up a flight of steps or up a ladder. How difficult would that have been to get him on the roof? Then they had to cut a hole. The Bible says dig a hole because remember it's made of like mud and thatch and clay and all that. Create a hole and find a way to lower him down to be in the presence of Jesus. How cool is that? But it is a little crazy. I mean, think about it. What if we did something like that in our modern day? This past Friday night was Valentine's Day. Husbands, if you're just now realizing that, you're in trouble. You may not know it, but you're in trouble, okay, if you're just now realizing that. But this past Friday night was Valentine's Day. So I made reservations for Alice and I to go out to eat, and we went to a restaurant here in Owasso. Here's a picture of us as we were eating. So we took that picture before we left, and we had a great time. Our reservation was for 7 o'clock. We were seated by 7.02, so it was right there. And it was great, had a good time. But let me ask you, what would have happened is if we showed up to this restaurant, and I walked up to the host, and I said, my name's Chad Broadus. I made a reservation for 2 at 7 o'clock. And she looked at me and said, I'm sorry, sir, but... I can't find your reservation, and we are booked. There's not going to be a table open all night long. You're going to have to go somewhere else. What if I would have walked away from the host with Alice, and I said, babe, don't worry about it. I got it covered. We're going through the roof. What if I would have climbed up on the roof, cut a hole, lowered down, and grabbed the next open table that was available? Let me tell you something. We would not have taken this happy picture at the end of the night, okay? That's not how that would have played out. What would have happened was I probably would have been arrested and spent the night in jail. And Allison may have considered that to be romantic, but it would not have worked out for me, okay? That would have been really bad. That's what would have happened. I mean, just think about it. What if I was preaching one Sunday and all of a sudden, you know, some dirt and dust started to fall down and all of a sudden the ceiling tiles fell in and we see this man being lowered right in front of us. I know what's going to happen to that dude. Our security team is going to be all over him. I mean, he's going to get tackled in Jesus' name. That's what's going to happen to him. Because we don't do stuff like that. That's unheard of. And it was unheard of in Jesus' day as well. This is crazy. This is insane. And it wasn't easy to accomplish. I mean, I want you to think about the effort the energy, the strength it took to carry their friend to this place and then get him up on the roof, the work it took to cut this hole out and lower him down, and then they're doing damage to someone else's property, so it's going to be expensive. They're going to have to pay to have it fixed. And then think about all the people inside. They're going to be mad and upset because they're interrupting Jesus' teaching, and they might say, those people are cutting in front of us. We were here first. There were a lot of reasons for these guys 
not to do what they did. And they could have very easily got to the door of the house, saw the situation, and turned to their buddy on the mat and say, we tried, man. We know it's what you need, but there's no way in. We tried. Maybe we'll catch Jesus some other time. There are a thousand reasons not to do what they did. But the one reason to do it outweighed all the reasons not to. They knew their friend needed Jesus. And there is a thread of empathy that runs throughout this passage. Why did these guys do it? Why did they do something this insane? This, that's that crazy. I'll tell you why. It's because they put themselves on the mat with their friend. His pain became their pain. His struggle became their struggle. His suffering became their suffering. And the possibility of him having joy became the source of their joy as well. They asked themselves the question, what if it were me? What if I was the one on the mat? What would I want someone else to do for me? The reason why they did what they did is because they put themselves on the mat with their friend. And I think what they're reflecting here is the attitude that Jesus tells us to have. Remember that verse we looked at last week from Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7, verse 12? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. In everything you do, treat others as you want to be treated. These guys put themselves on the mat with their friend. And every time I think about what these four friends did, I'm always reminded of a commercial that I saw a few years ago. It's a commercial of some guys playing wheelchair basketball. And when I first saw this commercial, I thought, man, what an illustration, what a picture of dedication and endurance, hard work, determination. What a picture of strength as you watch them struggle. But then as you get to the end of this commercial, what you realize, what you find out, is that only one of those guys physically had to be in a wheelchair. The rest of them were just his friends who wanted to spend time with him. And every time I watch that commercial, it gets me. And I think that's the heart of these four guys in Mark chapter 2. And Jesus honors their act of kindness. Look at what happens. Let's read on in Mark chapter 2. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Pause right there. Side note, if you're ever in the presence of Jesus and you have bad thoughts, don't, because he can read your mind, okay? So he knew exactly what they were thinking. So Jesus asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? 
So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Now, I want you to notice that there are four types of people, four groups of people in this passage. I'm not the one to come up with this. I've heard this from several other people, but I think it's good. I think it's important for us to pay attention to. Four types of people in this passage. First of all, there's the hurting, and that's the man who's paralyzed. He's the one who's hurting. And then there's the healer. That's always Jesus. Jesus is always the healer in life, isn't he? But then there are the hinderers. Those who want to keep this paralyzed man from seeing Jesus. Those who want to keep the hurting from seeing the healer. And in this passage, might be the crowd because they won't get out of the way to let this man through. You might say it's also the teachers of the law who complain about what Jesus does. But then lastly, there are the helpers, the four friends who get their buddy to Jesus. And I point this out because I believe these are the four types of people we see in life. These are four types of people that we encounter all the time. The hurting, haven't we all been there before? Haven't we all been wounded by life? Haven't we all felt broken before? We've all been there. And we see people all around us who are hurting. Haven't we all been in that spot where we needed the healer? Where we needed Jesus to come in and remake our lives, to give us a fresh start? Where we needed Jesus to make us whole again? And haven't we also encountered people who want to get in our way, who want to stop us from seeing Jesus? Maybe even we ourselves have been hinderers before. Maybe it wasn't intentional, but because you're on selfishness or personal preferences, you got in the way of somebody else getting to Jesus. And then the last category is what I really want to emphasize. Those are the helpers. Because in life, all of us need a circle of friends. Maybe just a couple. But we need a circle of friends who will help us get closer to Jesus. And on the flip side, we need to be helpers ourselves. We need to be those who are helping our friends get closer to Jesus. And so with that in mind, as we come to the conclusion of the message today, what I want to do is just ask you two questions. And the first one is this. Do you have friends who are helping you get closer to Jesus? Because in life, the best friends are those who help you become best friends with Jesus. And those are the type of friends that the Bible says we need. You've probably heard it said before, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That is so true for our spiritual lives. You can't live the right type of life with the wrong kind of friends. And that's why Proverbs 13 warns us, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Read that again. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I have a friend in ministry who likes to summarize this verse with three words. And those three words are, stuff rubs off. 
You hang around with people who do foolish stuff, their foolishness is going to rub off. Let me ask you, if you hang around people who are always negative, you think negativity can rub off on you? Absolutely. Prejudice, hate, think those things can rub off? Absolutely. Laziness, low moral standards, they can rub off as well. Do you think if you're around people who are always cursing, that that can rub off on you? You bet. What if you're around people who are jumping in and out of beds with people they're not married to? You think that can rub off? Yep. What about if you're somebody who's around those who lie, steal, and cheat in order to get ahead? You think that stuff can rub off on you? You bet it can. Guys, if you're dating somebody right now who's willing to break the barriers that God has established for, established for sexuality and you know it's wrong, and you want to maintain those barriers, but they're willing to break those barriers, you think eventually that's going to start to tempt you and lead you down a road you don't want to go down? Absolutely. You think addictive behaviors can rub off? Sure can. But on the flip side, the Bible says those who walk with the wise will grow wise. So do you think the fruit of the Spirit can rub off? Yeah. If you hang around with people who demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, and the rest, do you think that stuff is going to rub off? Yeah. If you hang out with people and you surround yourself with people who exhibit the character of Jesus, that stuff will rub off. And it's important that we surround ourselves with the right type of friends. Now, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that we don't love those who aren't like us. It doesn't mean that we don't love those who are far from Jesus, far from God. It doesn't mean that we don't befriend them and we're not kind to them. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what the Bible is telling us is that those individuals who have the most influence on your life, they should be people who are helping you move closer to Jesus. And that's why The Bible warns us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I think we all know that to be true. So do you have friends who are helping you get closer to Jesus? And by close friends, I mean close friends. Do you have friends who are helping you get closer to Jesus who have like fridge rights. You know what I'm talking about? Fridge rights. Those who have access to your fridge, they can get anything out of it they want to because your home is their home and vice versa. Or maybe they even stock their own stuff in your fridge. If you go to my refrigerator at my house right now, you will find several bottles of this Canada Dry Ginger Ale. I don't drink ginger ale. My wife doesn't drink ginger ale. My kids don't drink ginger ale. You know why we have bottles of this in my fridge? It's because we have a close friend who puts his ginger ale in our fridge and we're okay with that. Because he's one of those close friends who has fridge rights. And he has fridge rights because we know that he's headed in the direction of Jesus. And so he's welcome. I don't know, he's welcome around my kids anytime because he's not perfect. But we know he's going to help us move closer to Jesus, and we're there to help him move closer to Jesus as well. Now, I know friends who have fridge rights, <laughs> that doesn't develop overnight. I get that. But do you want that? Do you want really close friends like that? We're helping you get closer to Jesus. Are you striving for that? Are you working to have those, those relationships in your life? 
But then that leads us to the next question that I want to ask, and it's this. Are you someone who's helping your friends get closer to Jesus? Because this is a two-way street. The church is a community. And not only do you need to have friends who are helping you move closer to Jesus, you need to be a friend who does the same for others. So let me ask, whose mat are you carrying today? You see, the closer your friends get to Jesus, the better your friendships will be. And the better your friendships become, the better your life will be. And that's why here at First Church, we want to help you do that. We want to help you find close, godly friends that you can do life with. But we also want to help you become a godly friend to others. And our strategy for helping you do that? Life groups. That's why we emphasize groups so much around this place because we believe relationships happen in circles, not rows. And we believe you need to come in contact with other people who love Jesus like you do, who are striving to live for Him in the midst of this dark world, who can help you along the way. You need to come in contact with those people so that together you can do life and help one another move closer to Jesus. Allison and I, we joined a life group a year and a half or so ago, and we absolutely love it. Some of our closest friends in this church are in that life group, and we do life together. And we have a lot of fun, but we also cry together, and we mourn with one another during the tough times. And we've gotten, like I said, really close to those couples in this group. But about a month or so ago, we got some bad news. One of the couples that we gotten close to in our group, they told us that they were moving. Mike and Lexi had been part of our group for about a year or so, uh, Mike was a football coach at TU at the University of Tulsa, assistant coach, and he got a job offer to go be the offensive coordinator in North Texas, which was a great opportunity for him, but they told our life group first before they told anybody else that he accepted this job, and I remember on that Wednesday night when they told us, we were crushed. I mean, we were excited for him. It was a great opportunity, but still, selfishly, we were crushed. And I remember as they were telling us how much they were going to miss our group, they said, honestly, the worst part about leaving Owasso is leaving our friends here at First Church. And so I asked them if they would shoot a video telling, telling you guys what they told us because they talked about how this church helped them in their walk with Christ and how this church came alongside them, and our life here came alongside them. And they've already moved into Texas, so we weren't able to send a team to film them professionally, but I asked them just to pull out a phone and record something for you guys. And so this isn't the best quality because it was recorded on a phone, but take a look at this. Hi, hi, we're Mike and Lexi Blush, and a little bit about us. Um, we had been invited to go to First Church by a good friend of ours, and we took her up on the offer and it instantly felt like a great church home for us. We fell in love with the church, but knew we wanted more. We didn't want to just show up on Sundays. We wanted to get involved and we wanted our kids to be involved. And we had talked about joining a life group, but with the amount of hours he works and being gone a lot, we just felt like it was almost impossible to do. So we kind of put it off, but on a splash Sunday, we took our boys up to the church and we were approached by a few couples and we got to talking and they had invited us to come and join their life group. It was the best decision we ever made. We met so many awesome people through this, through joining this life group. And what we realized was it was people just like us, people that were 
battling the the things in 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 their daily lives and raising kids and jobs and finances and all the stresses that can really get at you throughout the course of the week but every every Wednesday when we got together it was it was an opportunity for us to check our bags at the door and just kind of come in and and reset our mindset and on our priorities and that was growing closer to Jesus I know that's a huge priority for us in, in our marriage and, and raising our, our young boys. But to, to do that with a group of people that had that same mindset and that same vision was incredible. Recently, we've had to say goodbye to our life group because he has got a new job in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me a little emotional. <laughs> and you can, you can tell how, how bittersweet it is. Um, you know we're really excited about our new adventure but obviously we know the the the, the relationships that we have there in Owasso and, and especially at First Church and in our life group and and so but what I will say is is through this transition our experience at at First Church has really set the table for what we we know we want and what we're striving for and what we want to find in our next church and and when we do find that place we're going to dive all in and and i think more than anything you just have to get out of your comfort zone and jump into it because i know for us it was definitely out of our out of our comfort zone you know we're kind of had kind of been around the same group of people for a long time and and stepped outside of that comfort zone and, and we don't regret it one bit Made forever friends. Forever friends. The worst part about Mike and Lexi moving is that I don't get free football tickets anymore. No, I'm kidding. That's, <laughs> that's a joke. No, Mike and Lexi learned through their experience in our life group. What I learned and you probably learned years ago is what those four friends in Mark chapter 2 knew. And it's what the Bible teaches us over and over again, and it's this. We is always greater than me. If you want to live the best life, find friends who will help you move closer to Jesus and be a friend who will help others move closer to him as well. We weren't created to do life alone. The best friends in life are those who help you become best friends with Jesus. If you want to join a life group, you can come out to the hub after services and talk to our groups minister, Brian. He'll be out there. He'd love to chat with you. We want to help you in every way we can. Because God doesn't want anyone to feel alone. He wants us to have friends who are going to help one another closer to Jesus. The best friends in life are those who help you become best friends with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this chance we had to open up your word and have this reminder of having friends in our lives that will help us move closer to your son, also being those friends as well to others. I just pray that if there's anybody listening to this message today who feels alone, who feels isolated. Father, let them know they don't have to live like that. Our church is a community, it's a family who's here to wrap our arms around the lonely. And so, Father, may we be a church that does just that for anyone today who needs it. And we also know that we can find 
meaning and value belonging in our relationship with you. If there's anyone who doesn't have that today, may they seek it as well. But thank you so much for creating us to live in relationship with you. And thank you for designing us to have friends. And we just pray that we can continue to do life together, moving closer to your son. In his name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.